0: Aren't you glad you woke up and came to worship with God's people this morning? That is, it is great to be in the presence of the Lord. And we know that we live in His presence because the Spirit lives in us. But when you come together as brothers and sisters, people on a journey together, there's just something special about that. And this week I have, as I've been preparing, there's just been this burden on my heart That we're going to commit to the Lord. But I believe God has something special for a lot of us in here this morning. Not that he doesn't every Sunday. But this week I just felt impressed upon my heart that the Lord wants to free people this morning. And so we're going to pray and we're going to ask the Lord to bless his word. And then I plead with you this morning, receive the word of the Lord this morning. Receive it and apply it this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you for breath in our lungs to come and to worship you and to sing. There is nobody like you, King Jesus. You've paid the debt. The victory is won. Thank you. And would you forgive us, Lord, for seasons in our life? When it seems like we forget that the victory is won. God, I pray that you would do a mighty work in all of our lives this morning. And we will leave here literally changed than when we first came in, I pray. For your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning we're going to talk about avoiding the sting of disobedience. And I'm sure if I was able to do a survey of all your parents and if I was to ask them, would you give me two or three words that would describe you as a child? I probably would hear back from them pretty quick. And perhaps some of their words that they would use to describe you as a child would be easygoing, happy, chilled. Maybe some of your parents would respond to me and say energetic, playful, Adventurous? Well, as as I've thought through the different stories that I've heard about my childhood, I know that it will probably come as a a surprise to you this morning in terms of the three words that my parents would probably use to describe me when I, I was a child. I know this will shock you. Strong, willed, and anxious. Strong, willed, and anxious strong will, defined in my case, as determined to do as one wants, even if other people advise against it. Or in common English, a stubborn brat. <laughs> Let me give you an example. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard this story of when my mom's parents, so my grandparents on my mom's side, took a trip to visit us in Africa as a family. Now, seeing as I don't have any memory of that visit, and judging by some of the photos I have seen, I would guess I was probably three or four years old at that time. But you know what? My whole life growing up, I never heard anything about the exciting places that my parents took them, like Victoria Falls, or what exciting animals they saw on safari, or that they were even proud of their daughter and son-in-law for the mission work that they were doing. No, the only story I've heard of their visit to Africa was the day my grandmother said she never prayed for me like she had on that day. And as the story goes, apparently we were all loading into our old land. We had an old Land Rover. It wasn't fancy. It was like a bread box with wheels on it. And we were going on a trip. And I was put beside a window that slides open and shut. And as a young inquisitive boy, I thought, wow, I want to figure out how this window opens and shuts. And so I started to open it, and I started to shut it. Well, apparently not everyone in the vehicle that morning thought that going down a dusty road in Africa, opening that window was a good idea. So as rumor has it, some of them started to encourage me to keep it shut. Well, what do you think I did? As my grandmother tells me, Calvi, you just kept opening that window. And eventually, the chain of command reached my dad, who was driving the Land Rover that day. And according to my grandmother's testimony, she gave this report. Your dad said to you, you need to obey or else I'll need to stop the vehicle. So, of course, I slid the window open. And as the Land Rover came to a rolling stop on the side of a dusty road in the wilderness of Africa, I can assure you my dad not having access to a lot of books about parenting other than the Bible was not stopping to give me a timeout. (laughs) No, in my interpretation of the story, I think my dad simply wanted to join the prayer meeting that my grandma was having for me. And so he laid hands on me that day on the side of the road. (laughs) Stubborn brat. And I took a while to realize how stubborn it was. The only only hurtful, hard thing I ever heard from Peg Forrest, who was my dorm parent in Kenya, was in grade 11. When she hit the wall one day and she said, Kelvy? If the Lord ever gets a hold of your stubborn heart, he can do great things through you. But as funny as those stories are, you know what? Daily you and I run into situations that require us to make a choice. Either we choose allegiance to what we want to do or make decisions according to our will or we choose to follow what God has commanded us to do. And one of the purposes of Deuteronomy was to help that second generation at the gateway into the promised land to recognize that this was their choice that they had to make as they were on the move towards the promised land. Would they choose to make decisions according to their will or would they choose to obey what God has commanded? And so Moses, looking back at their parents, wants them to learn from their parents so that they might choose wisely On the move. If you have your Bibles I'd invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 19 and we'll read through to chapter 2 verse 1. Then as the Lord our God commanded us we set out from Horeb and went towards the hill country of the Amorites through all the vast and dreadful wilderness that you have seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up, take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors told you. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Then all of you came to me and said, "Um, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it. Taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go up. "'You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. "'You grumbled in your tents and said, "'The Lord hates us, so he brought us out of Egypt "'to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites "'to destroy us. "'Where can we go? "'Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. "'They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. "'The cities are large with walls up to the sky. "'We even saw the Anakites there. "'Then I said to you, "'Do not be terrified.' Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt, before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. All the way he carried you until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, No one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jephani. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his foot on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also and said, You shall not enter it either, but your assistant Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it, to encourage him, because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that you said will be taken captive, your children who who do not yet know good from evil, they will enter the land. I will give it to them and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn around and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Then you replied, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons, thinking it easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up and fight, because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command, and in your arrogance, you marched up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Siah all the way to Hormah. You came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. And so you stayed in Kadesh many days, all the time you spent there. Then we turned back and set out toward the wilderness along the route to the Red Sea as the Lord had directed me. For a long time, we made our way around the hell country of Sia. There's two principles and a solution that I see from God's Word in this passage this morning that would be great advice for that second generation and also great advice practical wisdom for us on the journey. And the first principle is this. Choosing to obey God's command will lead to experiencing His goodness and His faithfulness. We sang about that this morning. Choosing to obey God's command will lead to you experiencing His goodness and His faithfulness. Please note, I did not say it will always lead to what you want. But it will lead to experiencing his goodness and faithfulness. And so we see in verse 19, for the first time, 11 months after their arrival at Horeb, 13 months after the exodus, the Israelites are on the move from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea. And they set out with the right motivation, didn't they? Look what the scripture says there. Then as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out. In Numbers chapter 10, verse 11 and 13, it gives a little bit more detail about what that day was like when they set out. There we read that the cloud lifted above the tabernacle of the covenant law, and the Israelites set out. Can I just make this statement right at the beginning? Starting off well is important, but continuing and ending our journey in obedience to the Lord really matters. It's not how we start out; it's how we finish. In 1 John 5, 3, we read this. In fact, this is love for God. To keep His commands. Continue to keep His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. And so because the first generation obeyed the Lord's direction at the start, they truly did experience the faithfulness of God on the move from Sinai. As we read, through all the vast and dreadful wilderness bringing them safely to Kadesh Barnea, which was a large oasis, 225 kilometers due north of Mount Sinai. Imagine how wonderful it would have felt to arrive at such a location after traveling through the vast and dreadful wilderness. I remember the last time my family and I traveled to uh, the Grand Canyon. We loved camping. And so we camped all the way across, and uh, we were going to camp at the Grand Canyon. But as we were arriving at the Grand Canyon, a massive rainstorm had come in. In fact, you couldn't even see the canyon. It was all fog, and it was just torrential rain. And I knew there's no way. I'm not like Pastor Mark. I'm not setting up a tent in the rain. And so I prayed that the Lord would soften my wife's heart, Is way better stewardship of money than I was. That she might consider maybe we should just check into a hotel tonight. And that's what happened. And I'll never forget, we didn't even know if there'd be a room. We went in, she came back out to the van. We're all in the van waiting, me and the kids, acting like kids, going... And she held up the keys, and we're like, yes! We don't have to sleep in the tent tonight. And it was like party time. We got into our room, there was TV, and the kids and I and Jen just had a wonderful time. After a long drive, and we arrived at this location. That's what it must have felt like for when they arrived at Kadesh Barnea. It was a place large enough to accommodate many thousands of nomadic people, just as the Israelites had become at that time. It was the gateway into the promised land. And this is why in verse 20, Moses could say to them, You have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord your God is giving us. And look at verse 21. What does he say there? He repeats. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it. As the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you so. The motivation for leaving Sinai was obedience. And now having arrived at Kadesh Barnea, their justification for moving forward and taking possession of the land was based on the promise God had made to the patriarchs. And so having experienced God's faithful protection and having his assurance of success, Moses told that first generation, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. God has promised ultimate success. And if they continue as they started out by obeying what he had told them to do, they would continue to experience the goodness and faithfulness of God. Well, what do we see happens in verse 22? Before they went up to take possession of the promised land, they came up with an idea. This was not an idea from God. This was not an idea from Moses. They had come up with an idea. And can I warn all of us on the journey? Be careful not to just run with your own ideas. Some of us are very quick to just run with our ideas. And even though this idea seemed to illustrate their first kind of crack in trust of what Yahweh was commanding them, I will say, as some commentaries said, they at least did come to Moses. They didn't just run off with their idea. They at least came to Moses and shared that they wanted to send men ahead to spy out of the the land and bring back a report to the people about the route they're going to take and what towns they will come to. On the journey, 99.9% of the time, I can tell you it is never a good thing to come up with something that was never part of what God originally commanded us to do. However, in this instance, Moses said, the idea seemed good to me. But more importantly, God, even though in this text in Deuteronomy, it's not recorded, it is confirmed In the record of the same moment, in Numbers chapter 13, that God accommodated the people's idea. And the Lord ended up commanding Moses to appoint 12 men, one from each tribe, to go ahead and spy out the land and bring back a report. So even in this instance where they come up with their idea, God shows his goodness to them through his patience with them, Aren't you thankful that God is patient with us? We come up with a lot of ideas that I'm sure He just shakes His head. And yet, in His goodness, He is patient with us. However, can I encourage us again, doing God's expressed will is always the safest route to travel on. Because God never makes a mistake. And even if God makes a concession on his part to listen to our idea, we should walk in fear and humility before him because there is a danger that all of us can become self-confident and think we can start telling God what to do. And so in verse 24, the spies leave. They go up to the hill country and they come to the valley of Eshkol, and they explored the land. And after exploring it for 40 days, They brought two things back down to the people. What was the first thing they brought back down? Some fruit from the land. And in Numbers chapter 13, we know that that fruit included, listen, a single cluster of grapes that was so large that two men had to carry it on a pole between them. Now, there's a lot of talk about genetic modification of fruits and vegetables. All I'm saying is the Bible says two men had to carry this cluster of fruit. Can you imagine that? A cluster of grapes that big? And then in Numbers it says, along with it, some pomegranates and figs. And I would say in my leniency towards fruits, I'm glad the cluster of grapes was the biggest thing that came down the hill. Pomegranates and figs? Mm. But my mother-in-law gave me some for Christmas because she says men at my age should have a fig a day. So I guess I got to start liking them. So they brought back some fruit. But the second thing they brought back was a good report. A good report. They said, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. And in numbers they added, it does flow. It really does flow with milk and honey. What was going on there? The people were seeing firsthand the fruit of their obedience and following God's command to leave Sinai. And what the spies witnessed and reported back simply affirmed through obedience that you will discover that God is faithful to his word and can be trusted. Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 says of our God, God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? He had spoken to Abraham, reiterated to Isaac, reiterated to Jacob, reiterated to, to this generation. And here they are. And what they're seeing is affirming that through obedience you will discover that God is faithful to his word and can be trusted. So I ask you this morning, I ask myself this week. On the journey, are you experiencing God's goodness and faithfulness? If not, then I encourage you to seriously do an audit. Do you choose allegiance to what you want to do? Or do you choose to follow what God has commanded you to do? And if you are following what God has commanded you to do, you know, you know that you are experiencing His goodness and His faithfulness. And if you are, I urge you, as the scripture says, give thanks to the Lord for He is good and His love endures forever. If that's your experience, then can I encourage you, keep obeying the commands of the Lord. Because through obedience, obedience will lead to you experiencing God's goodness and His faithfulness. But sadly, in verse 26, Moses recalls for the second generation how their parents were unwilling to go up after all that he had proven himself to them, after all that they had seen him do for them, they were unwilling to go up. They rebelled against the command of the Lord, their God. The second principle that I want us to learn this morning is that choosing to disobey God's command will lead to experiencing his anger and judgment. It's not easy to hear all the time. But this is the truth about the God who we call Heavenly Father. If we choose to disobey the commands of the Lord, we will experience His anger and judgment. We need to be very careful. Listen closely. Please, I'm preaching to myself. Calvin, do not minimize disobedience in my mind. Do not minimize disobedience in my mind. An unwillingness to obey God's command, according to this text, is equivalent to rebellion. It's rebellion. When I sin, do I often view that as rebellion or I go, ah, it's not a big deal? I'm sure God's okay with this. Please do not minimize sin in your mind, it's rebellion. And I want to point out to us this morning what I'm going to call three character warning lights. Like the ones that pop up periodically on your dashboard. I have one right now that's popping up on my dashboard. And I should maybe use the strategy of my dad being the old missionary. There was I drove his vehicle one day and I saw all these yellow smiley stickers on his uh, thing. Then I was like, Dad, what is all the smiley stickers? He said, I'm just tired of looking at that light. You know? But these lights are to warn us. To warn us, I want to point out three character warning lights. Because if they are left unchecked, just like our vehicles can have a snowball effect of negative consequences. Some of the warning signs of living in disobedience may include these three things that the Israelites displayed. First off, feeling dissatisfied and making assumptions about God. Fearful living. Rather than being faith-filled. Arrogantly refusing to listen and presuming on God. As I read those, are any of those popping up on the dashboard of your life? Are you feeling dissatisfied? Have you heard yourself making false assumptions about God? Fearful living rather than living faithful life? Are you arrogantly refusing to listen and presuming on God? Let's take a look at each of these quickly. In verse 27, we read, You grumbled in your tents, referring to their parents, the first generation, and said, The Lord hates us. So He brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. The Lord hates us? Are you kidding me? Their murmuring started off privately. Did you notice that? In your tents. But then it slowly spread and became public and general amongst the whole community. Rather than trusting God and heeding Moses, 10 of the spies spread rebellion throughout the camp. And obedient Israel that started off so well had now become complaining Israel. And as one author correctly points, in a gross misunderstanding of the Lord and His perfect purposes for their lives, they charged Him with hating them. And bringing them to this point only to destroy them at the hands of the Amorites. Are you complaining? Are you murmuring? Are you sharing false assumptions about God that are influencing those around you? What about fearful living rather than being faith-filled? In verse 28, there it says, where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. Remember I said in the beginning, there were probably three words my parents would use to describe me as a child. Strong, willed, and anxious. Fearful. Combating anxiety and different fears has been something on my journey that I continue to cooperate with the Holy Spirit through God's Word to overcome. Dr. David Jeremiah in his book, What Are You Afraid Of? Facing down your fears with faith notes that, listen closely, everybody, including himself, is afraid of something. There's no one in this room this morning that you could be honest with enough to say, there is nothing I fear. Our challenge is to discover and analyze our fears and find a godly, biblical response to them. And that's what I have been doing on my journey as I still struggle with anxiety and fear. I acknowledge what it is, I know what God's Word says about it, and I'm relying on His Holy Spirit to help me to overcome it. Biblical heroes were regular people who had to learn the same things you and I have to learn. And to drive out fear by increasing their knowledge of God. To shift their focus from the present fear to the eternal God. That's why worshiping is so important. I can come in here with fears and as I begin to sing and increase my knowledge of who God is through the lyrics of the song, all of a sudden my focus is off of my present fear and on my eternal God. And the first generation's present fears were based on the discouraging report from 10 of the spies. Look in the second half of verse 28. They say, God didn't say, Moses didn't say. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. They allowed what others said to trump what God had already told them. How many times are we guilty of doing the same thing? We even saw the Anakites there. These were giants of legendary size who in cha- in next week in chapter 2 we'll read more about. It says that they were numerous, great and tall. Yes, they were larger than the Israelites and were feared because of their military power. And in the opinion of 10 of the spies as recorded in Numbers chapter 13, this is what they said. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. There's the problem. They were viewing them according to their own perspective. And we, they say, looked the same to them. I don't know. Did they interview them? That's an assumption. When I, when we choose to live fearfully, we supersize the object of our fear, and you fill in the blank of what that is for you. And when we supersize the object of our fear, we downsize the power of our God. That's just what happens. We supersize the object of our fear, which downsizes the power of our God in our hearts and in our minds. They walked by sight and hearsay, not by faith in God's promises. They forgot what he has done, the wonders he had shown them. They did not remember His power. Instead, they hardened their hearts against the Lord and developed an evil heart of unbelief. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews encourages those who he was writing to. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today. that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Can I just share with you something that I found helpful this week? There's a difference between unbelief and doubt. Unbelief is a matter of the will. And it causes people to rebel against God and say, no matter what the Lord says or does... I will not believe and obey. That's what the first generation were doing. They were in a state of unbelief and they were not going to obey. Doubt, on the other hand, is a matter of the heart and emotions. It's what people experience when they waver between fear and faith. But the doubter, unlike the unbeliever, says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And guess what? God, who is good and faithful, seeks to encourage doubters and help them believe. But all he can do with rebels is bring judgment. So how did God respond to their rebellion? Verse 34 and 35. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, No one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your ancestors. Israel's disobedient rebellion, based on fear, was the last straw for God. Now the whole nation was going to be condemned to wander in the desert for 40 years. With that first generation never to see the land they were promised. And you know what's so ironic in verse 39? We see how one of their fears For not obeying and going up to possess the land was the fear that their wives and their children might be taken as plunder. And now at the start of Deuteronomy, those same children are growing up and make up the new generation Moses is preaching to who will end up entering the land and be given possession of it. Isn't that ironic? And as for their parents, verse 40, Turn around and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Folks, when we choose to disobey the commands of God, in essence, it's going in the opposite direction. That's where it will take us. There was no use to continue on the move to enter Canaan. Yahweh had closed the door. And did you notice in verse 37 who else he closed the door on? Shockingly, Moses. Moses confessed to this new generation that the Lord had even become angry with him and he too would not be blessed to enter the promised land because he too disobeyed and in rebellion did not trust what God had told him to do. While in the desert at Mirabah, when people needed water, Moses, like Israel, failed to honor the Word of God. And thus, in rebellion, disobeyed God's clear command to him. And as a result, he too would suffer the same result of God's judgment and not be allowed to go into the land. Wow. And so there we have the first two, feeling dissatisfied and making false assumptions about God, fearful living rather than being faithful, maybe like, oh, I'm not, I don't see those in my life. What about this last one? Arrogantly refusing to listen and presuming on God. Ever pop up? The dashboard of your life? Verse 41 to 46, true to human nature. Once God forbid them to go in and move and take possession of the land because of their unbelief and disobedience, what did they do? Slid the window open. They did it anyways. And their confession in verse 41, don't be deceived by it. It was hollow and self-serving. How do I know that? Because their actions did not change. It was not true repentance. Remember, God cannot be mocked. He knows our thoughts and He knows our motives. Yes, they were sorry for the consequences of their sin, but it was not true repentance. It was only regret. And so the Lord in verse 32 told Moses, warn them, Do not go up and fight because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. As I was studying this week, I like how the one author described this process. You see, victory was only going to come as the result of holy war, Yahweh war, as carried out by God's direction. And in holy war, the priests would accompany the troops bearing the symbol of God's presence, the Ark of the Covenant. And so Yahweh's refusal to go with them left them on their own, making their actions to go up and fight simply carnal conflict rather than holy war. And in verse 43, we see that that true to their prideful nature, they refused to listen. They rebelled against the Lord's command and in arrogance presumptuously marched up into the hill country without God's presence or blessing as though the presence of God made no difference to the outcome. But in verse 44 to 46, there we read, the Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees, the sting of disobedience, and beat you down from Sia all the way to Hormah. hard lesson learned. They found out the folly of attempting to do God's work without God's presence and power. And the tears of repentance at the end of their humiliating defeat were to no avail. The Lord did not help them, nor did he sympathize with their defeat. Sadly, the patience and grace of God for that generation had expired. And there was no escape from death in the wilderness during the next 38 years. Do you see any of these three character warning signs popping up in your life on a regular basis? If so, you might be living in disobedience. And I plead with you, you do not want to face the anger and judgment of God. What do you do? Confess your sin. Confess your sin. He's faithful and just and he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Turn from your disobedience. Confess. True confession is revealed through repentance. Turn and follow God's ways. And so the question that needs to be answered as we close this morning and the lesson that needs to be learned is how does one avoid the sting of disobedience? Trust and obey God who has sovereign authority over your life. There is no other way Verse 32 and 33, Moses says, In spite of all this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. Instead, that first generation allowed their fears to dictate the way they should go. Who and what is dictating the decisions that you make on a daily basis? And twice in this section, Moses urged the people as God's spokesman, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. Why? Why do we not need to be afraid? Because the Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. How much more evidence did they need that their God was able to defeat their enemy and give them their lands? Hadn't he defeated and displaced all the false gods of Egypt and protected them on the pilgrim journey? His people needed only to trust and obey. Don't let your fears stop you from going where you know God wants you to go. And I know what that feels like. Don't let your fears stop you from going where you know God wants you to go. The Lord your God is going before you. He will fight for you. You want to experience God's goodness and faithfulness on the journey then follow Caleb's example that we see in verse 35 and 36. And what was the credential that was given to Caleb? He followed the Lord wholeheartedly. He followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Literally, as one author said, I love this, he was full of being after Yahweh. What are you full of? What am I full of? Am I full of wanting to be after the Lord? What does that look like? Well, in Philippians chapter 3, 13 and 14, Paul describes how that looks like in his life. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's obedience with my whole mind, heart, and soul, and body. And Caleb was determined to obey and do the will of God. Nothing else mattered to him. And in Numbers, God said, referring to Caleb, he has a different spirit. Isn't that cool? Imagine if God was to give you that compliment. She has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring the Lord, says him, into the land he went into and his descendants will inherit it. And in Numbers chapter 32, verse 12, the same credential of following the Lord wholeheartedly is accredited to Joshua, who we saw in this text. Would become God's appointed leader to replace Moses and lead that second generation on the move into the promised land. So I ask as we close this morning, what fears are you battling that have you in a holding pattern? Are you tired of wandering fearfully? Are you discouraged that you can't seem to move forward? God's word says to you this morning, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit. Obey. Submit to him. Obey and he will make your path straight and you will experience his goodness and his faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, obedience will lead to experiencing God's goodness and faithfulness. I have experienced and can tell you that disobedience will lead to you experiencing God's anger and judgment. So on the journey as Moses was challenging that second generation, I challenge myself and I challenge you this morning, please choose wisely, trust and obey God wholeheartedly. As our worship team comes up to sing our final song together this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to experience the power of God in your life. Many here this morning may live and struggle with fear and anxiety. And this morning, the Lord is giving you this opportunity as he did with that generation that Moses was speaking to. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The promised land God had already given to them, but they had to do something, didn't they? They had to go up and possess the land. And my prayer this week is, Lord, as you have done for me and continue to do for me, would you please release anyone in our congregation who is wandering and stuck in their fear and in their anxiety? He wants to free you from that and help you to experience his power in his life. And so just as they were challenged to go up and possess, I'm challenging us this morning. If you're here this morning and you are sick and tired of living in fear, you have been at this mountain long enough. Then while we sing this song this morning as a step of faith and obedience to what God is telling you this morning, I'm going to encourage you to leave where you're sitting in the balcony on the main floor. It doesn't matter. And as a step of faith, you're just going to come and gather at the front and we're going to pray together and say, God, we are here as a people. We believe, help us in our unbelief. And if you're here this morning and you know that you are rebelling against God, then you too come and receive his forgiveness. Take that step of faith and experience the goodness and faithfulness of God. As we sing, you just come, and I will close our time in prayer. Brothers and sisters, you have taken the step of obedience this morning. I can guarantee you, you might not get everything you want, but because of your willingness Before the Lord and the Holy Spirit convicting, I know I need to get up. You are going to experience the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And it it is worth more experiencing that than anything in this world can offer you. Your God goes before you. He will fight for you. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. He never leaves you. He will never forsake you receive that good news today in your life and continue to walk in obedience and experience his goodness and his faithfulness. So I'm going to pray for you this morning. Here's all I want you to, I just want you to put out your hands on this. God, I am going to receive the victory that you've already won for me this morning. Father, I just thank you for our brothers and sisters who have come forward this morning. Lord, as one who has struggled with anxiety and fear, I thank you for the victory that you have allowed me to experience as I cooperate with the Holy Spirit, as I rely on your word, Father, and then take one step at a time. I thank you for, in my life, experiencing your goodness and faithfulness. And so I pray, God, that you will do the same in my brothers and sisters' lives this morning. I pray that they will see a marked improvement from the time they leave today of trusting you, of not being afraid, of not letting fear dictate, take the choices that they make, but rather trusting and obeying you. There is no other way. So God, would you strengthen them. Thank you that your spirit lives in them. Thank you that they have your word. Thank you that you've placed them in your church. Lord, help all of us, even those who are standing in the audience this morning, to stay closely connected to you and closely connected to your family. And so God, I pray your peace, your peace upon my brothers and sisters this morning. Chase that fear away in Jesus' name. Free them and allow them to walk in new victory, experiencing your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you for meeting with us this morning. Help us as we go, I pray, to be a people known as ones who trust and obey God. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If any of you need prayer or would like to talk to someone, our pastors, our wives will be here afterwards. You're welcome. We love you. God bless you. Do not fear. Do not be discouraged.